0: Gary Paulson is the author of three Newberry Award winning books, The Winter Room, Hatchet and Dog Song. His new book is Woods Runner. Thank you for joining me, Gary. It's wonderful to be here. Gary, this is a, a wonderful book. It's an exciting book and it though it's appropriate, I guess, for kids, I think the story it tells is rather timeless and fascinating for adults as well. Uh give us an idea of the setting and the, the actual just the perception that you work into this.
1: Um Excuse me. The, it is the Revolutionary War in the United States, um, which w- was about like Vietnam.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking. That's yeah. so interesting.
1: It was eight slaughtering years. It was not some uh, running back of a Iraq and shoot an Englishman or something. I mean, it went on and on and on. And American young men were killed, and lots of them were killed. Um, whole families were wiped out. It. It bothered me because it was so trivial, the coverage of it was so trivial in history books and stuff, I mean, for children. Um, You know, Paul Revere and George Washington and blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't like that. It was mean. It was really hard on them. And I took a boy whose family was kidnapped and would have been slaughtered, would have been killed by the Iroquois, who had been, quote, hired by the English to kill people on the frontier. Except that his father played chess and one of the English officers wanted somebody to play chess with. The only reason they kept him alive, um, just a serendipity, you know, just kind of thing. And the kid, the boy, Samuel, decides to rescue his parents.
0: It's a fascinating story, and I love this kind of perception. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that, Vietnam, because that's exactly what I thought of. And we have this picture of the Revolutionary War as, you know, fields of Men in red coats and charging fields of men, you know, in assorted costumes with muskets. But most of the war seemed to be, as as you describe it here, it's just random bands of of killers from either side, really, wandering through the woods and happening on people and either capturing them or and killing them or sitting down for dinner with them.
1: There, there were many. Um, I mean, there were battles, uh, set piece battles, mm-hmm. but um, there were also times when—I uh, mean, a, a great example it's not in the book—but Valley Forge, which, mm-hmm. God, it was awful. Mm-hmm. Just awful. You know, they didn't have any food. They, they didn't. A lot of them were barefoot through the winter, and this is a northern winter, you know, and uh, they lost their feet. I mean, it, it was um, the whole thing taken as whole was was just. Random bits of violence here and there, um, along with set battles.
0: Now, one of your uh, character, Samuel Smith, he's a young young man. His parents are somewhat bookish, and they have settled down in a cabin on the edge of uh, on the edge, really, of civilization. And I, what I think is interesting about this book, when I from the get go, when you start reading it, is you realize that Samuel, he's a kid. He's uh, he is, a, uh, but the the title of the book. He's a woods runner. And he's essentially someone who can survive alone in a forest by himself. He's on the edge of civilization. And I'm thinking, you know, this is the classic American character. And what we never think of is that the classic American character is somewhat wild.
1: Absolutely. He is patterned, Slightly on un- un- young Daniel Boone,
2: mm-hmm. who
1: was a classic American character. Also, uh, who was wild. I mean, Daniel Boone. People went to the frontier because they could get they they could get a lot of land
2: mm-hmm. free.
1: They just pick it up. Daniel Boone at one time, I think, took a thousand acres. He was a poor businessman, but he and he kept losing all the land he had, and he died poor. But but he went through land fortunes to get there and and when he was young he was very much like like uh, Samuel or Samuel was very much like him um he, he was constantly having difficulty with native americans um
0: who were hired by both sides of the war absolutely
1: They're... absolutely the other thing is that um the people tended to not eat deer they they didn't like the deer meat venison they would shoot bear for food mm-hmm. and um, and daniel boone was a, a good bear killer uh, there's still a tree somewhere i've forgotten where it is with his Daniel Boone Killed a Bar here, and whatever the date was.
0: Wow. Now, uh, tell us about some of the research you did into the weapons and the way the weapons worked, because, you know, I see a rifle, and I think, it's a rifle, it's a, you know, like a gun. <laughs> I don't know much about it, but uh, what I've come to understand reading this book is that the rifle was a new, relatively new invention at this time.
1: It, it had been invented in Europe earlier, but not used very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're harder to load. They take longer to load than a smooth war musket. Um, uh, The muskets could be loaded very fast, but were horribly inaccurate. At 60 yards, they could not... I mean, it might be hit five feet to the left of where you aimed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rifles uh, rotate the ball at a high rate of revolution, and it it turns the ball into a gyroscope, a kind of gyroscope, and it holds a path, and Mm -hmm. it... If the rifle barrel is made well, um,
0: that's what the rifling is. It's a curved, exactly. It's, it's a, a curved, a scratched,
1: curve mm-hmm. spiral through the barrel that would make the ball spin. If the barrel was done well and it's called sweet, it would last uh, generations and and, uh, and be a, an, an amazingly accurate. They had they did call shots with some of the guys who had sweet rifles uh, on British officers out to 350 yards. Wow. And when I did research for the book, I bought a flintlock, an exact replica of what they would have been firing. They were called Kentucky rifles. Nobody ever in Kentucky made a rifle. It was always they were truly Pennsylvania rifles, made by Dutch people, mm. and they were amazing. Um, I was consistently hitting a twelve-inch circle at two hundred and fifty yards off off a rest. Wow. I mean, I was I was not standing up. I, mm-hmm. I rested on sandbags, and and uh, and they would honestly. Um, Bet on on shots at at, um, at British officers at, at three hundred three hundred fifty yards because uh, they were sitting up on white horses. It was it was hard hard to miss them in a way, you know.
0: Right, they were they were great targets. Now, um, I'm really interested too in the uh, survivalist woods aspect of this. America was a really wild country, and and it strikes me that one of the things. That you know, you think different things are timeless, but I never thought that forest combat would be timeless. And every time as I read about Samuel creeping through the woods and coming upon uh, animals, roving bands of men, I thought, boy, this must be just like a, a vietnam what, the way Vietnam was. Um, so talk about this kind of uh, how you gleaned and how you researched the survival details of what, how Samuel manages to survive in the woods.
1: Most of my life has been that. I... My parents were, were drunk, so I'm just, there it is. And and, uh, and I uh, lived in the Philippines as a street kid in Manila for two and a half years, 46, 47, 48, um, with my parents drunk there. And then later in northern Minnesota, near the Canadian border, I would stay out of the house and just live in the woods. And I was trapping and, and hunting when I was 11 and 12 years old, um, like Samuel, uh, very much like Samuel. So a lot of that, that information was gleaned from from um,
0: your own life my, my own
1: life exactly uh, the stuff that he does and and actually, the weapons I finally started using muzzle loading flintlocks I hunted with them and stuff rather than modern weapons uh they're a lot cheaper to to fire and to use um the rest of it he he was very much a part of his time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh which we we is so different from how we live now. The, the the genesis of the book started with Sally Hemings, a girl who was owned and and molested by Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write about her years and years and years ago. I mean, before it was known that he left a bunch of children with her and, and stuff, and they checked it with DNA. Um, that led to, uh, th- there was not enough to write about her, but I wrote about a slave girl learning to read mm-hmm. uh, called, called Night John. And I went from there to the Civil War, and I wrote a, a true story as I use the diaries and stuff of a kid named Charlie Goddard, uh, who fought through the war, lied his age, went in when he was fifteen, fought with the Minnesota First Volunteers. And it it bothers me that, that um that the history has been so cleaned and and um well stratified, I I guess mm-hmm. would be the word. So that it's it's really difficult to to find the truth until you Get into it and and once you're into it it's stunning
0: um this book really gives a great sense of what it would be like to live in that time because uh, his amazement at seeing the cities and also just his reaction to being around all the people he really can't and we're used to in our world everybody's always surrounded by lots of people, but back then he there weren't there were cities were the exception, not the rule
1: they were they were uh the only place I've spent the last five years living in Alaska running dogs and, and um, sled dogs, and, and it's still like that up there. It's still astonishing. I mean, it, it, uh, only only 1% of the land is, is privately owned. 99% is open state land. You can go anywhere you want. Um, there are no roads. There are no people. There are no towns, no lights. <clears throat> you go out in there and you go two 300 miles. Alone with a dog team, and uh, it's the same. It's the same as Samuel would have had. He was right on the on the very edge at that time
2: mm-hmm.
1: of what we would call Bush in in Alaska. Just absolutely nothing, but for a thousand miles, two thousand miles, you know, uh, uh, that country was being penetrated by people like Daniel Boone or or others. But uh, but they were they were upset if somebody lived within thirty five miles of them. <laughs> thirty five miles. I mean. Of no roads. I mean, that was too close. That was too close. You you develop that um, sort of uh, when you live in the bush, and and, um, I have trouble coming back into. I can't sleep, for instance, in cities. The noise is so overpowering all the time—sirens and lights and cars—and you know, if you're in New York, it it never stops. That never
0: stops. You give a really good sense of that in this book, uh, the difference between being in the wild, in in true wilderness, and and the difference in being around people. And and I I love the the perceptions of um, how as readers we instantly identify that Samuel though he's younger than his parents he's his parents child he's far more mature than they are in many ways in terms of what he the skills and uh, sensibilities he needs to be able to cope with the world he actually lives in
1: much more practical mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he is his his parents were dreamers and and Samuel is to an extent but but he's a dreamer within the wild he's a dreamer within um the beauty and 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 the uh, suddenness of the wild he's not uh, he's not a dreamer in the sense of i want to get rich and settle down and, and have a you know have an SUV or whatever he, he's not like that he's he's a, a creature of where he is but he also sees a beauty in it um and and the war to him is, is horrific it, it, by the end of the book um and, and I have inserted nonfiction little sections in it.
0: Uh, yeah, talk, talk about writing those sections. I,
1: I I wanted people to understand the reality of it. I, mm-hmm. and not just, I got most men died of dysentery in two or three days. They would, they would, their bowels would go so awful that they would dehydrate in two or three days and die,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: just from bad food. For God's sake, I mean, it, just to have that as as a thing laying for you. Um, in the 30 years of, of, of naval war between England and France, on the English side, only some 1,100 men died in combat. Mm-hmm. 107,000 died of scurvy,
2: really? and,
1: uh, of diet deficiencies, mm-hmm. and it's the same in the, in the war. That wasn't changed until late in the Civil War, by women, who insisted that their children and husbands and children be fed better food. Nobody cared. You know, she used them up generals were horrible um and it was very bad in the revolutionary war i mean it was just scurvy was a big killer dysentery was a huge killer and um i wanted that to become real i didn't want to just say that you know this is how the weapon works this is i wanted it, people to understand that the weapons that the the ball came out of the barrel at, at uh... thirteen fourteen hundred feet per second depending on the weapon that it that it did this damage when it hit. And, and, and so I fired all the weapons.
2: Mm. I
1: fired a smoothbore musket. I fired rifles. I went to a range and sat there for days so that... uh used a bayonet. I got a pig carcass mm. and, and did the research that, that with those weapons. Uh, one true antique one, but most of them were, were reproductions. Um, and, and I wanted that... To be real.
0: I mean, I want. The way you wrote the book is really interesting because it's so close to the ground and so close to the character's perceptions. And he's so concerned with just the real nitty gritty of getting fed, walking from A to B, not being killed, uh, that you get a really interesting perception of war as a very much a day to day struggle, not not a kind of an epic thing, but a, a day to day grungy, gritty struggle.
1: It it still is. Mm. It doesn't go away. But I had a, a good friend, Mike McGee, who died last year. He uh, was a Vietnam vet, two tours in the infantry and in Nam. And we were in Hawaii on an old sailboat. We sailed across, and uh, there's jungle there. We were on the island of Kauai, and there's there's thick mangrove jungles and stuff. And he, I, I went for a walk, mm-hmm. just walking down this trail, and he he moved a little to the right, and I didn't see him go. I He slipped into the jungle as if he were, I don't know, a snake or something. He just disappeared. And he came out about 150 yards later down down this trail. And he never made a sound. I mean, he had been in the jungle in combat for two years in Vietnam. And and, uh, it was still there for him. It was just he just slipped into into the jungle. And it was totally, God, not a sound. Hmm. You know, he's 60 years old. Not a sound, just just slithered in there and disappeared. And he came out, and I said, "How can you do that?" And he said, "Do what?" You know, he was so used to it that. Uh, and it was the same for those guys. It was the same for Samuel. Um, most of his life, he, a young life, he spent in in the in the wilderness, in the woods, in the, the thick forest.
0: Now, one of the things that's very interesting about this book, uh, another perception of the war, is that how much the civilians participated, on the American side at least, and, and how they participated. I mean, some sophisticated message uh, transferring, uh, pi- homing pigeons, even. Mm-hmm. I didn't know homing they pigeons. Had
1: some. <laughs> they had some pigeons. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was not common, mm-hmm. but, but there were things like that that they used. Um, and it was both sides. I mean, Ben Franklin's son was a loyalist. And Ben Franklin disowned him and never spoke to him again. Really? Because he helped the British. uh Huh. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, it, it was it was gut wrenching. the The war was, God, it's been so trivialized. I mean, not in 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 effect. Wow, we got independence and all of that, but so did Canada, but without a war, you know. Mm-hmm. But but the truth was that it wasn't something that happened, you know, at Bunker Hill, and then it was over, and then it was. You know, my God, it was just horrible how long it lasted. Um, and that it, and that these men, boys, most of them, could stand to that long, could, could realize, I mean, it ruined their lives, many of them. Mm.
0: I was just thinking as I was reading this book that somewhere in Vietnam, there's a 12-year-old kid right now who some 30 or 40 years from now might write his own version of this book.
1: It could be i don't I don't know uh, it was a funny story side story. I just my agent told me yesterday to Vietnam had asked for a bunch of my books. they want to publish some over there and i, I don't I mean she 's sending copies and stuff but but uh, this book was not out when that request was made, so uh, that would be
0: interesting i've been speaking with Gary Paulson. his new book is Woods Runner. Thank you for joining me Gary.
1: It's very nice to talk to you, Rick.